It seems like podcasters, and really almost anyone creating independent media, are often being told to niche down. The conventional wisdom being that they'll have more success with a targeted audience. But as it turns out, niching down and appealing to wider audiences aren't always mutually exclusive. When it comes to people moving here or just talking about things that are affecting us here in Durham that are relatable everywhere, you know, a lot of it really comes down to um, what are the conditions under which I am working and what are the conditions under which I want to work as a business owner? And what does that look like in the landscape of my local community that I'm living in? Because small businesses here are facing a lot of the challenges of small businesses elsewhere. Next, you'll hear how a visual brand storyteller uses her local podcasts to connect with listeners from all over. My name is Stuart, and this is Audience, a Castos original series for podcasters in pursuit of producing better shows and uncovering the business that powers audio creators. So at Castos, we're all about working with independent creators and giving them the tools to help with their shows. For instance, our integration with Stripe allows them to accept payments directly from their listeners. There's no ad algorithm, commission fees, or anything like that. It's simply a payment directly from the listener to the creator. Learn more by going to castos.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes. Where you live should not affect your access to resources. And so Honey and Hustle really, for me, started as a way to say, you know, I've met all these great people. I've learned from them. Let me pass the mic to some other people who have been doing this way longer than me. I had just gone full-time around the time, full-time into entrepreneurship around the time that I started Honey and Hustle. And so I said, you know, these people have been doing it way longer than me. This is their only source of income. There's got to be something that people can learn from them. That's Angela Hollowell, a visual brand storyteller and the founder of Angela H Studios based in Durham, North Carolina. She specializes in documentary-style projects, usually focusing on themes like environmental justice, human rights, and advocacy, often for organizations based in the South. As a brand storyteller who mostly works in visual mediums, Angela turned her love of advocacy and entrepreneurship into a video podcast that also streams on audio platforms. It's called Honey and Hustle, and she describes it as her love letter to small business owners. Episode topics include everything from discussions about affordable housing to business ideas and a whole lot of stuff in between. And it's all told through the lens of a brand storyteller. I think, and I know this is probably a joke as old as time, but I think there is also this conception that brand storytelling in any shape or form is meant to make you go viral. It's meant to make, you know, you just have a bunch of leads and, you know, a bunch of money coming in and it's supposed to be this huge game changer. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, brand marketing in and of itself is not some silver bullet. And I don't preach that to anybody that I work with. I think brand marketing and any way that you decide to do it is really a part of an overall organizational goal, right? So it, it has to be done with purpose and it also has to fit um, the organization that is using it. So, you know, one thing I always think about in my own business is like, cool, I make videos, I put out a podcast, I do all these things to get inbound leads, but then what happens? You know, do I have the system set up in place for X amount of leads at a time? Do I have the capacity to handle X amount of workload? Um, do I have the resources to handle a certain number of clients, right? So it's, it's also kind of um, needing to be realistic about what your goals are and what your organization has the capacity 
um, to do with that as a result of, of what you're putting out into the world um, and how consistently you can put it out into the world. Yeah, the desire to go viral is peculiar to me for two reasons. One, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, I, I hope I never go viral. A lot of times when people go viral, it's not for great. It's usually, it's usually, it's, I, I, I don't think the internet's usually all that compassionate uh, no. and understanding towards, towards folks who go viral. And then B, I, I don't think anyone really knows how that happens. Usually it's an accident. And then even to the extent people can figure it out, it's all pretty ephemeral. As soon as you figure it out, whatever kind of like algorithms are behind making something go viral or, or get attention, it's obsolete in, in two to three months. Versus what seems to be your focus, the creative side, I'll even call them some of the hard skills that just go into making a video look good. That sort of thing transcends mediums. It stands the test of time and it's going to be applicable in almost anything you do. Yeah, I think virality is such an interesting thing. I think, again, people think like, oh, going viral means I get all these eyes on me and my business or my organization. When... In reality, like again, like you said, you can't predict it. You don't know what's causing it. The best chances of going viral come when you're consistently putting out stuff, right? Not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket on this one piece of content you think is oh so great. And then even then on the content that, you know, does go viral, is it what you want to be known for? That's the question. Really and truly at the end of the day, is it what you want to be known for? And, you know, there could be many things that you want to communicate through your content. So is there one piece of content that really just is more important than anything else? Probably not in the grand scheme of things, you know. It does seem more and more now that brands are getting into creating their own media. Uh, what have you seen that's worked well and maybe something that hasn't worked so well? Uh, one thing that's worked well is having good audio in a video uh, because stories are always going to trump a good video. You can have a nice flashy video, but if it has no substance, it's probably not going to resonate and stick, right? So I think, again, I think sometimes we get so lost in the sauce, if you will, of how can I make, you know, the the best, most catchy, most, you know, eye-catching video that we forget that, or, you know, podcast or whatever it is that we forget that, oh, like this actually needs to have substance. This actually needs to have value for the people that are watching it. So that's always something that I think about sometimes when I get too in the weeds on an edit. It's like, in the greatest scheme of things, what is this going to change for the person watching it? What is my nitpicking going to change? You've got your own video podcast. And of course, it's also available on all the audio streaming platforms as well. But it's also on YouTube, Honey and Hustle. I'm always interested with people who are relatively new to, new to podcasting. Uh, what was your relationship with audio like prior to your own podcasting journey? Non-existent, if I'm being 100% honest. Wow, really? Yeah. You never didn't listen to the radio, no, no audio dramas, no podcast? Okay, just kidding. I did listen to radio. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sometimes I would mute it when the commercials came on. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, and I, I did. I would say, does music count? Yeah, well, let's okay. let's count let's count music for the sake of yeah. the conversation, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's short form audio, if you will, but yeah, I do I do like music, but I mean, just really just talk radio or anything like that or other audio podcast. I still don't listen to audio podcasts, Interesting. even though I have a podcast. Yeah, I will watch a podcast. I watch video podcasts, and I did have a couple of video podcasts that I had watched previously starting my own. But yeah, audio only, that was never like my bag. And it probably shows because my early episodes, the audio was terrible. So, Well, who are some yeah. video podcasters that, that you followed? 
Uh, my first one that I came across, I think, was actually Matt Diavella. Uh, Matt Diavella had a show called The Ground Up Show that is no longer going. Uh, but I think it had almost like 200 episodes, but I watched that show a lot, loved it. Um, the Ritual Podcast, I'll, watch, I'll tune into that occasionally. I don't know if it counts as a podcast, but it's definitely a video interview. So Apple does a series where when artists release an episode, they'll have like an hour long kind of video interview with them talking about the album and the making of the album and their life as they're making the album and, you know, their early influences that kind of um, manifested themselves in the album. Really love that. I think, what's his name? I think his name is Is that Zach. Zane Lowe? Is that Zane Lowe? Zane, Yeah, yes. I like Zane he's, Lowe a lot. He's great. He's like, I think he's like, British or something like that. He's from Australia and Mm -hmm. then like came. Yes, he's incredible. Like in terms of interviewer inspiration, like Zane Lowe is my goal, you know, just to be like laid back with a lopsided beanie, just asking very insightful questions. Like I've studied this person my whole life, you know, like that's my goal as a person to make it feel that, you know, organic and that laid back but also that valuable and insightful, just like casually, you know? And I think that's probably shows in how Honey and Hustle is because Honey and Hustle, while it is a business podcast, you will literally never catch me in a pantsuit on that doggone show ever. There's a very high chance that, you know, I drank a beer before doing this or after doing this, or maybe even during um, recording it. But, you know, I wanted to feel laid back. I wanted to feel like you're just hanging out with two friends, just getting all the ins and outs of their story as a, as a, a business owner. And um, yeah, those, I would say those three, if I was going to recommend those three for sure. Yeah. And, and I think you, you do a good job. I, I can see the Zane Lowe influence now that you said that I wouldn't have necessarily thought, <laughs> felt that just because of the subject matter, but, but I like it because, you know, what Zane Lowe does so well is, you know, he's, he's getting artists very comfortable. And a lot of times, especially celebrities and, and people whose work is critiqued in a very public way, a lot of times they're very guarded when they talk to a member of the press. And I think Zane Lowe has worked really, really hard to endear himself to where it's almost like, look, look you're, yes, I am. Look, this is for Apple. It, it, it is a, it is, you know, something that a lot of people are going to see, but like, I get it. We're, we're all, we're on the same wavelength here. And it's always fascinating to listen to your podcast because you, you kind of have that kinship with people, even if you haven't really met them before, because you have similar experiences and similar interests. The second thing I was curious about is, and let me, let me kind of maybe preface my question with this so you know where I'm coming from. I, I come from the world of community radio and and that, that that's how I got my start. So the transition into podcasting was almost a no brainer. I almost didn't even really have a choice. So it was just like, well, making audio is the only thing in the world I know how to do. So if I want to make a living, I've got to do this. So the, it wasn't even really just like a choice that I was going to get into podcasting. I just, I was doing it one day, basically. When people come from other mediums still, I mean, you're, you're a visual storyteller and obviously there, there is video podcasting and, and you've said, you know, you don't do audio only, but I am curious why why you chose to do this. What inspired you to make Honey and Hustle coming from, you know, a different medium entirely? So I am originally from Alabama. And uh, when I moved to Durham, North Carolina, one thing that I did to really just be in community and meet as many people as possible was I did a lot of in-person networking. So my grind for like three months when I moved here was I would get up, go to work in the morning, get off work go to a networking event for like an hour or two, go home, eat, shower, go to sleep, 
do it all over again. That was my grind for like three months. At that time, I think I met almost 500 people, right? In Alabama, that would not have been an option. Um, and I'm talking like across the state. There was maybe one to two good networking events a month, right? So like think about how much longer it would have taken for me to meet other creators, other business owners, other like-minded people and business resources given that, given that information, right? And in my mind, where you live should not affect your access to resources. And so Honey and Hustle really, for me, started as a way to say, you know, I've met all these great people. I've learned from them. Let me pass the mic to some other people who have been doing this way longer than me. I had just gone full-time around the time, full-time into entrepreneurship around the time that I started Honey and Hustle. And so I said, you know, these people have been doing it way longer than me. This is their only source of income. There's got to be something that people can learn from them. And so Honey and Hustle really started as, uh, I guess, my love letter, you could say, to small business owners around the U.S., particularly in the South, um, that were looking for information, looking for, you know, unofficial mentors, looking for, you know, to hear other people's stories and how they did it, right? And I think that's very different from me getting on the podcast and telling what I did and what worked for me or having them tell you, this is exactly what you should do. This is what you need to do. This is what worked for me. Because the reality is everybody's story is going to be different. But there's something in everybody's story that you can gain something from, glean something from, and maybe apply in your own way to your journey and what you're doing and how you're going about, you know, trying to create a life that you love from your business. So that was kind of how Heine and Hustle got started. So I really didn't think about, oh, I don't have the skills to do this or, oh, I've never done this before. It was really about, you know what, I'm going to build this ship as I as I drive this freaking boat and we're going to learn together and it's going to be great. And that's how Honey and Hustle got started. Would, would you say that you were, were drawn to, to video podcasting just because you, you are just so immersed in visual storytelling that it, it would does it, did it just feel like maybe like a natural extension of of your skill set and, and what you're already passionate about? Yeah. So I didn't feel like I had to necessarily invest in new things. You know, I think, you know, a lot of times new podcasters, myself included, they think about, okay, well, what's, what's it going to take for me to get started? What does a startup cost, right? You know, you got to buy a mic, you got to buy, you know, editing software, if you buy editing software, all these things that can be hindrances potentially. But for me, I already had cameras, I already had some decent mics that I obviously didn't know how to use for two people interviews across the room, but I figured it out along the way. Uh, so I didn't, ha- I didn't feel like I had barriers just starting for sure. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier. It, it really starts with the idea and the substance of, of whatever you're doing. The, the technology, it gets smarter as, as time goes on anyway. And, and, and we get smarter, we get better at figuring out like what works and what doesn't. I, and I agree with you. I think a lot of people sometimes almost work backwards from where they want to be. They're like, let me, let me go and get this really intricate, like complex setup. And then, and then the, like the good ideas will follow versus like, again, I think you got to start with like the root of a good idea and, and let that evolve and let the, and and the process will, will evolve with it. I jotted something down while I was listening to your podcast and it's, it's gonna, it's gonna sound cheesy, but I'm, I'm still proud of it. Pod locally think globally (laughs) and your, your podcast, Honey and Hustle is, is very centered in Durham, North Carolina. A lot of the folks you're talking to are very local. You talked with one fellow named Topher Thomas a lot about like affordable housing, obviously. And I'm a North Carolina guy too. And it's, I think most people in North Carolina know what's happening in Durham. We'll just call it gentrification because 
that's basically what's happening, right? I mean, lots of businesses are investing a lot of money there. Wealthier folks are moving in and the people who made Durham built it into the into the great city and cultural center that it's that it's always been are, are the ones getting left in the dust. And you talked with him about that. You also had on your podcast um, another entrepreneur. Her name is Joyce Spate. And she talked a lot about the, well, the crux of your conversation was empowering advice for women leaders. But she actually said something very poignant during your conversation. And we're going to play a clip of it right now. And I think it speaks to the theme of pot locally, think globally. The more that um, people move here, unless those pockets of culture and those pockets of influence, like your artists, your musicians, your creatives are protected and have a space where they feel comfortable and welcome, the culture changes. And when the culture changes, the city changes. And that is what a lot of um, our decision makers in government do not recognize. What they then do is once they realize that it's gone, they try to remanufacture it and it's not authentic. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this play itself out in all these different cities like Austin. Mm -hmm. You know, when a lot of people first start out in, in podcasting, the advice they're giving is niche down or niche down, however you say it. Find that niche. And, and that's good advice, I think, as, at least as like a way to frame a creative project. But I think people take it too literal. And I, and I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I get the impression that it would have been really easy for you just to say, well, this is, this is a podcast about Durham, North Carolina. And it's going to be so specific to Durham that only people who live in Durham will find it enjoyable. But you seem to you seem to kind of balance that really well. Of like, it's still you're still bringing on people local to Durham. It's still a way of connecting people within the city. But what what Joy was saying there would be as poignant for someone who lives in Austin, Texas, or, or Portland, Oregon, or San Francisco, or, or any of these other places. Is is that something that you're keeping in the back of your mind when you do these interviews? That like you know you want you you want it to be maybe relatable to people who might stumble across Honey and Hustle. Yeah, so just to give people a little background, I started Hunting Hustle in Durham for season one. For season two, um, because the pandemic was still kind of, you know, raging and great, you know, going crazy, I did that virtually. I recorded that entire season virtually, and I had people from across the U.S. And while that was cool, I really knew I wanted to get back to doing, you know, North Carolina stuff. And season three is all Durham, Raleigh, uh, Chapel Hill area people. And when I came back and when I asked people questions, you know, it's never, you know, what is some advice that would be relevant to another Durham, you know, entrepreneur, right? Um, And I think that clip really just illustrated, you know, we named some cities where gentrification is happening, but it's also something to think about for maybe small business owners who are in places that are up and coming, right? You know, what role do I play in the local landscape of making this town what it is? What do I add? to this community that has been developed and what can I add as it continues to grow and we have more people here? Um, and what does that look like, right? What are some things that would be beneficial to this community that I can be a part of as a business owner? So I, I think, you know, and again, Durham, it's not the biggest city, but it's in a sizable metropolis here in the Triangle. And, you know, when we think about, you know, I want to move somewhere with more opportunity or I want to move somewhere with, you know, a bigger market or, I want to move somewhere where I have more freelance opportunities, for example. You have to also think about 
okay, well, what is a community that's there now? And what is different about that community than where I live now? And what really am I saying when I say I want more opportunity or I want a bigger market share? Uh, so I think there, you know, again, when it comes to people moving here or just talking about things that are affecting us here in Durham that are relatable everywhere, you know, a lot of it really comes down to um, what are the conditions under which I am working and what are the conditions under which I want to work as a business owner? And what does that look like in the landscape of my local community that I'm living in, right? Uh, because small businesses here are facing a lot of the challenges of small businesses elsewhere. And, and your podcast is just a great magnifying glass on on some of that. I, I am curious just more, this is more of like a, like from like the tech side of things. What are your thoughts on YouTube as a platform? Has it been like, do you, do you typically find them easy to work with? Because I, I don't have any experience with it. I could I could talk all day about Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what's YouTube been like for you? Um, I personally love YouTube. I like to say that I've been a YouTuber since before YouTuber was a word. And not in the sense that I've always been uploading videos, but in the sense that I've really just been um, a lover and a consumer and now, thankfully, a creator on the platform and have been fortunate to like really see it grow. Like I was on YouTube before I was purchased by Google. That's just age myself right now, you know? Um, so I'm a part of that crowd. Um, I'm a part of YouTube before I like people were doing YouTube for a career and doing it to get monetized. They were literally in their freaking rooms with crappy video cameras, with a blank wall, no set design, no lights, no expensive gear, no nothing, just a phone and pure comedy. And I loved it. And, you know, now as a creator kind of seeing you know, how YouTube has really been pushing the envelope, I do think, for the creator economy and people who do want to use YouTube to make a living. Love it. Great. Beautiful. Um, I love, you know, how you can have like default upload settings. So like things that are always being in your descriptions, like affiliate links, links to your website, you know, a little description about your channel, what it's about. Yeah. I mean, personally, I know I sound like a little stan and somebody's going to come in the comments like, oh, you're just saying that. YouTube isn't paying me. I make no money off YouTube and I love it. I'm still going to upload because I just love the community that YouTube has created. And quite frankly, I love how even though I have a wide variety of things that I watch, like I watch Matt Diavella, which is minimalism. I watch, you know, a lot of the Apple uh, album review stuff with Zane Lowe and um, the other guys. Uh, they're cool, too. I didn't mean to rag on them. They're also cool. And, you know, I also watch photography, filmmaking stuff. You know, maybe sometimes I watch something at a, about a plant, but it always clocks me on the algorithm. Like I, I just go on YouTube, like some people go on Twitter in the morning and I just scroll. And I know after like one or two strokes, I'm going to see something that I like. So for me personally, as a creator and a consumer, A+. plus. Yeah, as long as we're aging ourselves, I, I remember before YouTube when I would get on like Windows Media Player and... <laughs> Go searching around for like concert footage and that and that type of thing and oh man it was it was the best feeling in the world when you when you found something that you know you actually liked and you know within a few short years of course now now everything's on on YouTube yeah YouTube is great and I guess you know too for SEO purposes you know for people that care about that but yeah well like what would you say like Honey and Hustle's done for your business like what has it have you has there been any like maybe like cross like uh cross promotions for like angela h studios or anything like that it's interesting that you say that so you know when i was telling you about why i started it, it was never because i wanted to use it to push my business you know maybe if i was smart i would have thought about that 
But again, I wasn't thinking about me when I created this show. So it was very surprising to me when I did start to get business from it. And a lot of it came from one guest, um, not guest specifically working with me, but guests being like, oh, we have the experience of working with Angela. She made this process so easy for me. I love the final product. And I'm going to be the first to recommend you if I think of someone or meet someone that is looking for what you do. So that was interesting, number one. The other thing was a lot of people as well who do interview-based podcasts, they think of it as a way to establish themselves as like an expert in their field or as a thought leader, as the go-to guy for X, Y, Z by sitting next to people that other people trust. Um, Again, didn't think about that. Didn't care. It wasn't about me. Um, But it was very interesting to see that when people reach out to me, you know, sometimes they would say, oh, I saw your episode with X and X and I really, I know them. I love them. Loved your episode. I want to talk to you about working on this. Right. So it, it kind of served its own purpose without me ever saying this. My name is Angela. I'm the founder of Angel Studio. And this is what I do. I don't think I've ever said that on the show. I don't think I really ever talked about what I do on the show, honestly. But it's interesting that, that uh, those things came to me as a result of the show. So that was something to think about. Yeah, kind of show versus tell, right? You don't have to sit there and tell everyone you're an expert. It'll, it'll kind of manifest itself through, through the work that you do. I do want to talk a few business things here. Uh, I've heard some sponsorships on your on your podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm I'm guessing that you work directly finding sponsors and then utilize like the AI technology to to put those into your podcast. Or how are you how are you getting sponsorships? Yeah, so some uh, were like people that I knew. So like, believe it or not, Link is a company that's out of Birmingham. And I lived in Birmingham for six years when I went to college. So that's how I kind of had the connection with the co-founders and uh, was able to get that sponsorship on the show. And I did have one of the co-founders of Link on the show during season two when I opened it up to people outside of um, the triangle. So that was um, an interesting thing that came about. That's really cool. Um, One of them, Manscaped, they found me on Twitter. Talking shit on Twitter. That's what I get. But sometimes good things come from that. Um, so I will say um, I haven't really pitched to sponsors. A lot of it has been just like organic. And I, I also at this point feel like that's how it should be. I should really be only working with brands that, you know, happen organically and it feels right. And also recommending brands that I actually use. So I, I think that's very important. And that's something I'm thinking about as I go forward and I'm saying, okay, well, you know, the show is picking up steam a little bit. I'm investing money into video editors. You know, what are, how can I get a return on that investment? And what are some of the partnerships that I want to, to have going forward? I think they definitely need to be centric to the small business owner community and tools that I actually use in my own business. So. Yeah. As someone who doesn't really, I don't really ever mess around with sponsorships for, for like my own personal work. I'm not opposed to it. A, I just, I never really take the time to do it. I'm probably not like I'm not popular enough to do it. And then, and then see, there's always that there is always that barrier of sponsorships that align with your values. And I think it's I think it's one of the pitfalls of DAI technology. The technology is great. I actually I love the technology associated with DAI. I, I don't always like the implementation of it because you might have someone who's got like a nutrition podcast and Pepsi or McDonald's is now suddenly sponsoring their podcast. It's really counterintuitive and it's an easy enough fix, I guess, but that doesn't really erase the fact that for a lot of listeners, the first time they heard, you know, Sarah's 
fitness podcast, McDonald's, there was a McDonald's ad at the very top of it. So like, I think that's a challenge that independent creators kind of have to reckon with is, you know, if you're going to go the sponsorship route, and I am a big advocate for like, leave no stone unturned. If, if sponsorships helps you, you know, pursue your creative passions, then, then have at it. But yeah, I, I always, and I'm just kind of wondering aloud, like, yeah, like finding brands that align with your sponsorships. Uh, it sounds like maybe you're just working with people you can vouch for and it, it kind of works itself out. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say that's been the case for me. Cause you know, like, again, I haven't pitched anybody and I don't think my show is big enough for that. And you know, there's still some things I'm working out with it. It's still very much a passion project, I would say. But, you know, again, talking about like, you know, I think going back to the YouTube side of things, because this is a podcast that I did start specifically for YouTube. I didn't actually put the audio up and start putting it up until after I finished season one. So, you know, when I think about now, yes, I'm a video podcaster, but primarily I consider myself a YouTuber. And so when I think about the landscape of YouTube, you know, a lot of YouTubers, I didn't start off with 50,000 subscribers. I started off with zero, just like me and you. And so, you know, when they now, when they do hit that 50,000 subscriber mark now, it's like every other video is sponsored. Maybe the sponsor's relevant, maybe it's not, but I never want to fall into the trap of not recommending products or services that are not relevant, right? And it's hard to do when maybe you see companies that are doing big ad spends like McDonald's um, or even more likable companies like Liquid Death. Liquid Death spends a lot of money on podcast influencers and the way that they make it fit is like, well, everybody needs water to drink. You're talking a lot. You need water while you're talking. Why not drink Liquid Death? And then talk to people about why they should also drink Liquid Death. <laughs> um, but, it, it, but it's also like, okay, cool, you drink liquid death, but like, what does that have to do with me as a listener other than hydrating me, right? Um, so it, it becomes this thing about like how how picky can you be when there's money on the table too, when you know you need money to run your show or something like that. So I, I can understand it, but it's also um, something to think about too as you grow, you know, if you are considering that. Well, we're at the part of the conversation now where I like to just give the floor back to you. Was there anything you think I should have asked that I haven't or anything that you thought about uh, in our conversation that you wanted to share that you haven't got a chance to yet? Yeah. Uh, one thing that you didn't ask me about uh, or one the question that I don't feel like I answered completely was the question about the dynamic ad insertion. Um, so I personally don't use dynamic ad insertion and I'm not um, in a hurry to switch to a podcast host that offers that is because essentially the audio that I post is scrapped from the video, right? So I also make the video podcast in mind that people, some people are only going to listen to this on Spotify or Apple or something like that. And so it needs to be just as relatable to them and like feel like a good auditory experience as it does for someone watching, right? Uh, but with that being, being said, uh, dynamic ad insertion for me is hard because once I put something in a video, it's not as simple as taking it out or putting something in its place, right? Um, and so that's something I think about too when I do things. It's like, you know, when people go back to listen to previous episodes and they hear something from Link, like a Link ad reader or something like that, um, it still needs to be as relatable then and relevant then as it does now. And so that's also something that I think about because I can't take it out, you know, so it needs to be done well and it needs to be relevant. You know, at Cassos, we don't really, at least as of this conversation, 
we we don't really have any kind of like uh, DAI technology or, or anything like that. And like I said, I'm I'm a big fan of the technology. And I won't get into the weeds of like why I like it so much or like the ways I've utilized it on on, on other platforms. But you know, we're, we're we're advocating really for creators to take ownership of of their own platforms and and not really giving up even that little bit of control. And there there's all types of there there are other options. I think people need to be aware of, you know, we're big on like crowdsourcing and, you know, getting, getting direct funding from listeners or subscribers or, or viewers or anything like that. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think, I think you, you think about it the right way because the other, the other part of DAI and, you know, most people probably know this by now, and I've said it a hundred times on, on the show before those, those CPM models are not made with creators in mind. They're not made to help that individual creator fund their projects you know you might chip away at some of the production costs at best uh unless you're unless you're like you know already already have a huge following so yeah it's the the technology is cool i think the implementation and and the execution of it to me anyway leaves a lot to be desired yeah yeah yeah, for sure well angela i really appreciate you you being on here the podcast is honey and hustle it's on youtube if you type in honey and hustle you can watch it there Check it out. It's great. You do a lot of your uh, filming on location too, right? You go over to some of like the co-working spaces in Durham. Yeah. And stay tuned. We might have a new space. Oh, all right. Well, Durham, <laughs> Durham's full of them. It's, it's a wonderful city and it's a great podcast. Also available on your uh, audio streaming platform of choice. Angela, if you stick around after the credits, I'm going to get a podcasting tip from you. Uh, that would be helpful for our listeners. Hey there, listener, it's Matt. Before you go, I want to offer you, the aspiring podcaster, two special items. Number one, if you haven't started a podcast yet or you want to find a better podcast hosting company, start here at Castos. Use our coupon code AUDIENCE20, that's AUDIENCE20, when you sign up for a new account at castos.com. Start a podcast like the one you just heard or about gluten-free muffins, whatever it is, will help you get your podcast out into the world. Number two, Did you know that our Academy is free? Enroll today for free at academy.castos.com. Get access to our courses, videos, and templates, all for free. Thanks for listening to the Audience Podcast today. We hope we're helping you become a better podcaster. All that's left for you to do is share this episode on social media. Bye for now. And now it's time for this week's podcasting tip. Hey guys, my name is Angela Hollowell. I am the host and producer of the Honey and Hustle podcast based largely in Durham, North Carolina. And if there's one podcast tip I have for you is to start. Start dirty. Start when it's not a finished product. Start when it's not easy. But just get started. Get used to hearing your voice and putting your voice out there. And get used to being a part of the podcast community. Because you're here now and we're so happy to have you.